Hello, my name is Christopher Monroe, and welcome to the Soundtrack to a Life. And welcome to the Soundtrack to a Life. Uh, I'm Chris, and with me today is Cam. Cam, tell everybody at home, what are you about? What do you do? Uh, I am an enthusiastic DM, an amateur writer, a millennial, and a annoying vegan. Solid. Uh, game designer as well, yeah? You've designed the game that we play from other sources, but a lot of it was yourself. Uh, most recently, yeah. It's not 100% finished, but as soon as I finish it up, I would like to send it to the company that made the game I kind of designed it off of. Nice. And having played it, I can attest that it is fun. Thank you. We are here talking about David Bowie's album, The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars, today. David Bowie probably saved my life. In junior high, I was bullied pretty relentlessly at school, and I was never physically safe at home. And uh, one of the ways in which I retreated from my circumstances was through music, specifically the music of Bowie and Morrissey and a band called Suede. Three weird, glammy bands from three different decades, all of whom told me that the weird kids and the art fags and the outsiders, if they held on long enough, could eventually find a place in the world where they belonged and where they fit in. And I did, and eventually I did. And by high school, I had transferred away from my feeder school into a new one in which nobody knew me and I had the chance to start over, and I was spending less and less time at my parents' place, and I was starting to construct an identity that I could live with. And a lot of the courage to do that came from David Bowie, and I will always love him for that. The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars is not my first Bowie album. Due to my age, that would be Black Tie, White Noise. And it's probably not my very favorite, although it would certainly be in my top five. My favorite would be either Hunky Dory or Station to Station. But it is, I think, the most important Bowie album because it is the reason for the other ones to exist. The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars, when it came out, Bowie was a weird folk dude who'd had, like, one radio song about four years previous. One, even from uh, listening to the album, I, I saw, like, it was a combination of rock and roll and jazz and folk and just, like, a whole bunch of styles. Like, it, his, he seems to have his own style, and, and you can't really nail him down into one genre. Oh, that yeah, that is a very consistent part of his career. And after uh, Ziggy Stardust came out, by the end of that year, he was a musical force and a cultural force that had to be reckoned with. He was the Bowie that would still be around 20 years later uh, when I was ready to start discovering music for myself. He also, although I probably would not write this think piece, I feel like somebody could. Arguably, Ziggy Stardust is the moment that the 1960s ended and the 1970s began musically. I can see that. It was more going into that, that glamorous rock departing from the like folk 
folky rock and roll sounds of say like the Rolling Stones or Bob Dylan or yeah yeah more or less that's uh, and it did pave the way for a lot of different options that had not been available previously in music. So Cam, you had never listened to David Bowie's The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and The Spiders from Mars. That's correct. You have now. What do you think? Honestly, without this show, I wouldn't have gone out of my way to listen to it. Like, uh, I had not recognized anything on the album before I had heard the guitar riff at the beginning of Ziggy Stardust. And it was kind of like, oh, I've, I've heard that somewhere before. And uh, even in talking with my parents, my dad was like, yeah, I used to listen to a lot of David Bowie. Uh, Ziggy Stardust was actually his first Bowie album that he had picked up. But he used to listen to Bowie all the time, but not necessarily growing up. He was more into ACDC, Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin, but it was still part of his repertoire. Yeah. And, and I thought, oh, okay, like that's probably where I should recognize it from. But for the first seven or eight songs, it was kind of, huh. Like, this this is a new experience, absorbing something. And then it was kind of that, that almost, in my mind when I was like, oh, I recognize this. Why do I recognize this? And then <laughs> my first actual uh, experience with David Bowie, completely on my own, without uh, any influence, was uh, when Rock Band came out. Oh, yeah. And they had Suffragette City. Yes. Um, as part of one of the, the track listings on there. I think that's true for a lot of people. I think Rock Band brought a lot of music to people who were not of the generation for that music. Oh, yeah. Like, I'd, I'd thought I'd had kind of an eclectic taste before, and then it was after you actually got to interact with the music and, and play different genres from different times. It was That made it kind of like, oh, now I need to more investigate more of this. Unfortunately, up until now, I had not actually gone into David Bowie. Well, that's the great thing about recorded music. All of it that has ever existed still does. Rock Band, I think... Is there anything like that now? I know there's something like it. it it's not the like the five button setup, but it's actually it's something else that like Guitar Hero Rock Band, all of them had come out with that actually has you play along with actual notes on an actual guitar instead of just mashing those five buttons playing along. It's much less of a party trick and more of a, an introduction to music. Oh, I like that. That's a fun idea for a game. Yeah, well, and they because they still kind of hang on to the rights of all of those songs that they have in their back category, they can actually still use them. So it's it, they just have a, a, a massive backlog of songs that, they, that you can play. That makes sense. And then people suddenly are getting into music from several decades ago, way younger than they otherwise would. I went to see Motley Crue six or seven years ago, and half of the audience was about 15 years old. Really? Yeah, I was very confused by it. <laughs> <laughs> and then somebody pointed out to me, um, it's because of Rock Band and Guitar Hero. Um, they know how to play all of those songs on a video game guitar. <laughs> and then someone explained to them, you know, that's a real band who you can go, like, see if you want. Well, and it's amazing, too, because that rock sound, that not only the, the glam sound, but the actual hard rock, it's not that it doesn't exist anymore. It's just there's no mainstream bands doing it. Like, very recently, I, I discovered uh, Hailstorm and Diamante, and there's a few bands who are doing that sound, but aren't insanely popular, like not popular enough to be on most people's radar. Yeah, I think that's true for a lot of genres of music. Um, things have gotten, with the advent of the internet spreading music widely, uh, very segmented. I can find the perfect album for me, 
uh, much more easily than I could have 10 or 15 years ago. You could find the perfect album for you. But is there a four-quadrant hit anymore musically? Like, is anybody getting the kind of broad appeal of, like, a Michael Jackson or a David Bowie? Because I don't, I don't feel like it can be done. I think just because there is so much music to listen to, like you could listen to every track that's out there and you'd die before you could listen to them all. Even if you were born today, just the, the amount of music that's coming out, it would be impossible to listen to everything and kind of find that. So just for the sheer amount of music that people can listen to, I don't think that there's something that's so broadly appealing to everyone that it could it could appeal to even 90% of the population. Like some people will listen to Top 40, like uh, Closer, for example. Everybody knows the lyrics because it's played over and over and over again, but I wouldn't say it's even close to like my favorite song, right? No, I don't think it's anybody's favorite. No, yeah. <laughs> it's the song that everyone likes well enough that you can put it on at a party. Yeah. Now. I mean... Listeners at home, feel free to tweet me if Despacito is your favorite piece of music that has ever existed. I would like to meet you. <laughs> I liked it well enough, and everything else that came out this summer was a little bit dire. <laughs> I feel the same way about uh, Glorious with uh, Macklemore. Oh, yes. it's It's got awesome message. It's got uh, Skylar Gray's vocals. I, I love her in anything. She was, uh, I'd first encountered her in uh, Fort Minor. She was the female voice for Where'd You Go, which is just a song about, it was Mike Shinoda being on the road and away from home and just his family missing him. And he had kind of written something back at them to say like, oh, I miss you too. Like being on the road sucks when you can't see your family, see your friends, see your children all the time. But just coming up uh, I just, I love her vocals. She has a very, like, soulful sound to her, no matter what she sings. Nice. Yeah. But yeah, no, I don't think anybody can hit, like, a bomb in the same way. I would have liked to have been around in 1972. Agreed. Or at least um, up until, like, 1981 or somewhere around there. Like, that's... Yeah, when something like this could come out and capture the public imagination in this way. Because, from what I gather, this record was everywhere and a lot of groups immediately started existing that sounded more or less like spiders era david bowie and a lot of them are super great uh you go back moth the hopple is a ton of fun sweet is a ton of fun roxy music were really their own thing but they got lumped in because nobody knew where to put them like it was a fun scene to be a part of and i don't see it happening anymore i guess the closest that we've come recently would be someone like Lady Gaga. Oh, yeah. And then dance music was different forever. Well, and like even Lady Gaga as an example, she had very recently done a uh, song with Metallica for the Grammys and like even her vocals matched in such a way that anybody listening at home, like I, Metallica's, you know, kind of very in the mainstream now because they had that put the, the, the thrash genre into the, the spotlight. But just seeing that she could do pop as well as go all the way to the, the, the angry end of metal and oh, yeah. still be good and, and have that kind of range. It's a lot of artists will very much pick their genre before they pick their music. And it seems like 
you had said um, with David Bowie, his message was, you know, it, okay, it sucks now, but be yourself. Like, it will get better eventually. And he did that, so he could say that. Oh, he did that a lot. Yeah. Uh, shortly after releasing this record, he fired his band, changed his character, changed his character again. Part of his performance was he would assume a persona for each album. Okay. So if uh, you noticed as it goes through, there's a weird through line to Spiders from Mars. Yes. About a weird alien messiah showing up at the end of the world. Leper messiah, yeah. And we kill him. <laughs> yeah, because it, like, it, it's even in uh, Ziggy Stardust that, like, that it almost seems like this duality in the song of, like, yeah, he's great, he's amazing, but what if we broke his fingers so he couldn't play anymore? <laughs> Like, yeah, uh, and he did that for most of uh, the 1970s. He followed Ziggy with Aladdin Sane, followed that album uh, with Diamond Dogs, did a soul record, did a semi-fascist disco record. <laughs> semi-fascist disco is probably something that you don't hear that often. Yeah, I, do that. <laughs> I wouldn't think. And then he realized that he was on um, way too much cocaine <laughs> and uh, took a few years to go live in Berlin, making experimentalist electronic music with Brian Eno and Iggy Pop. Well, and they say that uh, LSD was the drug of the 70s and cocaine was the drug of the 80s, so he also did that first, if you think about it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> he got there before anybody else could. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's interesting that he would take it to tell a story. That's another thing that's not happening right now. I know Muse recently announced that there would probably not be a new Muse album. Really? In the immediate future. Because no one is buying albums On right now. They're going to do the occasional one-off single. They're going to continue to tour. But the whole big, weird Muse statement record is a thing that we're going to have to do some waiting. Hmm. And, like, it's it's strange that vinyl is making a comeback now, now that I didn't understand why anybody would listen to vinyl when you had, you could have 10,000 songs on, you know, your iPod or whatever. I get now that because you have to compress it so much, you lose so much out of that recording. It's it's called a, an un, unloss or an un, uncompressed yeah, yeah. format, essentially. And one of the albums... Um, that I'd listened to over the last like six years, I had gotten on vinyl recently. And I thought, okay, well, I've, like, I've got a vinyl player as part of one of my uh, stereo bits, so I'll, I'll you know, listen to it and, and see what's up. And now I get it. Like, it, and it's a, it's a crap vinyl player. Like, if I were actually to get a good setup, I think I'd get it even more. Oh, yeah. You do lose some of the details to it. I'm given to understand, although I am not a big enough fan myself, that if you listen to a Van Halen album on vinyl, the two best tracks are the first track and the first track of side B, because the closer to the uh, outside of the disc you get, okay, uh, the more room for information there is. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Okay. Now, I can not tell the difference personally. I do not have the ear for it, but I could definitely picture people being hardcore enough. That they were, I could definitely picture uh, Eddie Van Halen being hardcore enough about the mechanics of sound that that would start to matter very much to him. Especially when you have so much information that you put into it. Like just having such a small allowance for songs that you can put online on like a much bro uh, broader media. 
when you don't have that kind of restriction, you can tweak things so that you can hear them like shifting on their stool as they're playing an acoustic bit. Yeah. And that doesn't add a whole lot to the record, but you can kind of, you're, you're, you're sitting next to them almost. It's immersive. Yeah. It makes you feel like you were there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's a more moment from uh, the previous Bowie album to uh, Ziggy Stardust where they open on an argument between Bowie and his sound technician about the pronunciation of Andy Warhol's last name. and it goes back and forth for a few seconds and then guitar kicks in (laughs) and that's amazing like it's something that would almost if somebody were to do that today it would sound manufactured yeah it really would it really would where you would assume or at least you would think that that was something that was actually going on while they were recording it's like oh shit like it's time to record now yeah, yeah, yeah. Or even just, I mean, I would not be surprised to learn that the conversation happened separately from the song, but the tape was running, and then when they were editing it and mixing it, well, let's throw it in. Yeah, okay. And I can see that. And I've, I've seen a few uh, metal bands, especially ones that record in Sweden, do something similar, where they'll just, any time that they're you know on the job in, in a recording studio, they'll leave it on, and they'll have just random sound bits thrown in from whatever conversations. Yeah. yeah. Um, one album by Hammerfall. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. It'll come to me. They have this epic song that has no words in it at all. And it's just this amazing up and down guitar solo and drums. And it's very powerful. And then it slows to a crawl. And you can hear it. what I assume is the drummer drop a drumstick and yell, shit. <laughs> at, the amazing of this, at the end of this amazing epic song. But yeah, it's, a, it's something like that. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's less... Uh, everything is... Mm... I mean, that's not true. People are people are still doing very warm, very organic recordings. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's not all uh, manufactured. Yeah. But it's not making it onto the radio. No, not necessarily. Not not especially not like uh, Ziggy Stardust. Like you said, it, it had exploded and it was in everybody's ear. Yeah. And, you know, you could go out and get vinyl and CDs weren't around by then, no? No, good Lord, no. No, didn't think so. But it was either the radio or vinyl. So you could play this over the radio and everybody would hear it and everybody's listening to the radio instead of the myriad of things that you can listen to now. There's podcasts, there's you know Google Play or Spotify or so on and so forth. And there's not everybody's tuned into the same frequency. Yeah, it was the era of network television and pop radio. And it was harder to hit, but you would hit so much bigger when you did. Uh, he's one of the he's one of the artists, I think, in history that can you can reasonably divide the world into pre and post David Bowie popular music. I could see that he did make room for a level of theatricality that had not been available previous to that, and some of that was probably in response to the very earnest kind of brown beige. We really mean it, man, <laughs> of the hippies. Which some of them did, but yeah, not all of them. <laughs> yeah, but it really cleared the deck for what the next thing could be. And obviously it led to a very sustainable model for him. His last album came out a year ago and was number one around the world. Which is amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Considering there's a lot of older artists where people have heard of, and then as soon as they go, what, they're on tour still? What? Like, <laughs> even the Rolling Stones. Like... I'm pretty sure every time they go on tour, they resurrect them 
they go on tour and then they go back into the ground <laughs> to write more music. That makes sense. Like, I mean, do they write music? Well, probably not. <laughs> probably was, not now. When was the last time the Rolling Stones put a record that anybody cared about? Rolling Stones fans, feel free to yell at me. <laughs> like, people are super <laughs> invested in the Rolling Stones. <laughs> I shouldn't just be trashing them for no reason. I own about like six Rolling Stones albums, and I like them very much. <laughs> From like 1968 to 1974, I do feel like they were probably the best band in the world. But I just, when was the last one that people enjoyed? I don't know that you were alive during it. No. I <laughs> Maybe I was born the year that... that I feel like I out. might have been. <laughs> but very much. This uh, album kind of speaks to an era where there was no such thing as selling out as as the idea like is there any was there a period where people had shouted at david Bowie that oh you sold out you sold out your image or because he was so eclectic because he had such a a broad range there was no such thing i feel like at the very least during the 70s his control over his image was such a part of his brand that the idea of him changing his image for the sake of commercial acceptance was just kind of baked in. That's a fair observation. Uh, I feel like people might have commented to that effect in the 80s, where he was still great, but he felt like a contemporary artist rather than one who was on the vanguard of something new. Well, and that seems to happen to a lot of artists even as they approach their 30s, in that they will slow down and, and try something different because they don't have something to be angry about necessarily anymore like it, their lives after you know doing rock and roll for their 20s doing you know all the cocaine and <laughs> um experimenting with a whole lot of things it, it, a lot of uh, artists will tend to find their niche yeah and they don't have anything to be angry about anymore they have more room to experiment but some don't yeah plus the original thing that drove you can sometimes get lost like for bowie I feel like it was a driving need to prove himself creatively in the world and to the world. And by eight wildly critically favored and commercially successful albums in, uh, working for a record label that I have to assume that after about the fifth started letting him do literally whatever he wants. <laughs> I, I feel like that was proved. I feel like... Some of that drive would go, yes, I think everyone knows. <laughs> Whatever you play, it sounds like money to us, man. You do what you want. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where you get a fascist disco record. <laughs> Which, again, Station to Station is probably my favorite Bowie record, so good for him. When you can literally do anything, you, you will do anything, especially when it's somebody as just amazingly talented like he seemed like he was one of those kind of people that from this record and on and i don't know about his previous works i don't know about most of his works to be uh completely honest but who didn't have to have an intense control over his work because it just just came naturally from every you know from the lyrics to the composition to everything it seemed like he had such an amazing control and just that natural artist thing like that not everybody has in order to put an album up that sounds like this and can go from this to 10 years later doing a very yeah something completely different. yeah uh very much so he was he was uh he was an artist 
with a lot of ideas, constantly. He put out, midway through the 90s, a weird electronic semi-industrial album outside and announced as he was releasing it the the story was a murder mystery set in a near future dystopia and he announced to the press as i he was releasing it this is going to be part one uh, of a trilogy that will be sonically themed with one another and will tell the complete story of this murder mystery and all that I could think uh, reading it in a music press is, no, you won't. <laughs> You're going to have a different idea that will also be brilliant in a year. And you will lose interest in this, and you will be doing that. A year later, he puts out a drum and bass album. <laughs> Trent Reznor guests on a song. It was also great. We will never revisit that dystopic future murder mystery. He never actually went back to it. No, he never went back to it. He's got new shit to do. (laughs) When you have as many ideas as him, I get that. I'm very much in that way. It's almost like an ADD, like, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this. Even within, um, I mentioned that I'm a a DM. I am the master of short stories. Like, if you want to play a one-shot or something like that, I can do that. Yeah. With the current thing, I've I've set it up in such a way that I can I can go very different ways within the same universe. But I I totally understand that because there's a, a thing that you'll read and you'll go, oh, I could do that. I could totally do that. I have so much inspiration for that. And then a week later, it's like, ah, oh, well, do I? Like, there's this other thing I want to. Yeah. yeah. And that's a really fruitful creative energy. <laughs> uh, it's the kind of energy that makes you suddenly release a Philadelphia Soul album, <laughs> or suddenly release like a very straightforward 80s MTV pop album produced by the dude from Chic, or a weird dystopic future murder mystery album, or quit making music under your own name to form a proto-grunge band where you're not even the singer, or... What was that? Tin Machine? Tin Machine was... All right. (laughs) (laughs) I like Tin Machine. Tin Machine is not where I would suggest anybody go to introduce themselves to Bowie as a performer. Does he sing it all on the... Some. Okay. Yeah. And he co-writes. He wanted to um, work with a group. Okay. And if so I understand the... correctly. Yeah, he'd been, a, he'd been a solo performer for a very long time. Like, even with the Spiders, he was the one who was front and center. And that makes a lot of sense. It was uh, Ziggy Stardust was his second album? Uh, no, Ziggy Stardust was his... I want to say fifth. Oh, wow. Okay. He was, going, he was going for quite some time with very little success. Really? Well, uh, I guess everybody has that one, and I assume this was, or the previous one was probably the album that catapulted this, him. This was the one that broke him out. Okay, okay. Um, the one previous to this became a hit after Ziggy Stardust came out. Uh, when everybody had to go when, see what he was when everybody, about. Yeah, when everybody suddenly was familiar with this artist and went, oh, well, I can't wait to see what he does next. Well, actually, you can go see what he did previously. <laughs> Four times over. In fact, that's in a store right now. <laughs> Well, just seeing how his music's are, or his sorry, his lyrics are, they're relatable. But at the same time, I like even listening to it. I've listened to it five different times now, and it's some of the lyrics I just I don't get. And I assume it's not for everybody. It's it's he probably wrote it for him, of course, as most artists will. Yeah. But just even still, some of the lyrics I I, I haven't looked them up because I. I don't like to do that until I've, I've completely given up on trying to figure out what they mean. Yeah, I think a lot of them were chosen to be evocative rather than for specific points trying to get across. 
And that makes sense, because especially in art, it's it's more to make you feel something than to believe something most of the time. Yeah, yeah, it's the yeah you're because you're listening to it first. Yeah, and then reading it second, and a lot of people won't get beyond the first one. But yeah, no, it's uh, it's interesting. I will definitely put on Ziggy. I'm gonna say every other month or so and re-listen to it. It's one of the things that you can keep going back to, and you'll discover different things about it each time, which I like a lot. Oh, which is a mark of an excellent piece of art. Yeah. Whether it's music or painting or writing, even. A lot of books, uh, even ones that aren't extremely long, like War and Peace, something that's uh, much more short. Uh, I guess not a book, but any of Shel Silverstein, excuse me, uh, his works, if you go back and read a lot of them, you can feel something different each time because it's a different period in your life. That like That's a, a mark of an amazing piece of work. Yeah, it uh, it brings something to you that you haven't previously realized that you needed. And it did. It set him off. Uh, he was the biggest star in the world. A dozen other acts showed up immediately to turn this into what is going on in pop music right now. He was still a radio act a decade and a half later. He was still selling out stadiums three decades later. Uh, I saw him in 2002 on what turned out to be his last tour. And every single night was to a packed house in a stadium. Well, and because not only his lyrics, but just the feeling of his music, it's one of those transcendental things. It's just like, even like I said, listening to it and going through it multiple times. Yeah, there is something different every single time. And that's, that's extremely relatable in that you can't listen to it and just okay, I've listened to it, let's go home. You know, I don't, I don't need to hear that again. It's, okay, no, I need to, I need to give that another listen. Like, for, for the show, you recommend listening to it three times. And I had to listen to it a few more times, especially for the, like, I'm not somebody who is often in the mood to listen to something that is slower. Like, I'm very punk, metal, fast EDM music. That's what I'm usually in the mood to listen to. So for the first, like, five songs, as well as the, the last one, Rock and Roll Suicide, it was, my brain wasn't fully turned on to listening to them. Yeah, yeah. But it was, no, 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 I need to listen to them. I, I need to get something out of them. Because, like, there are things that I hear that I like, but it's it's it was a fragmented puzzle that I had to kind of put together. And even still, obviously, haven't quite put it together. But it was, it's still, well, I see why you would go and listen to it every two, three months. Yeah, yeah. Because it never, uh, and it never stops being a little bit fractured. I mean, he's got a, he's got a song on his next album, Cracked Actor, that would have also worked as uh, the character for that album had he not gone with Aladdin Sane. And I think that that has been his entire career as an artist. There's always a new thing, and it's always a little bit disjointed. And when it works best, I think it's because it is a little bit one step removed from the time and the context in which it was made. This is a man who recorded and released a concept album about his own impending death and didn't tell anyone oh. that that's what it was about until he passed away a week after it's released. Really? That's amazing. Yeah. That, like, he had either the foresight or just, well, this is probably going to happen within the next decade. I should probably get this out. Uh, he was recovered enough from cancer 
Okay. To spend some time recording. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Which, like, that one's on the list, too. I will be discussing Black Star with somebody <laughs> at some point, because that record was a punch in the gut. And then a week later, a much worse punch in the gut. When everybody at some point confronts their own morality, and that is very much a, oh crap, that's going to happen someday soon. And, and for some people, that would get them down. For some people, it's like, oh, let's go do all the things. But for him, he had, I, I guess, taken that feeling and went, okay, I have to explore this over, I'm guessing it's uh, 45, 50 minutes. Give or take. And and get that out there somehow to, to either deal with it for himself or to say, hello, people who love to listen to me, like... You know, I love you. I'm going to be, you know, taking a, a stage exit pretty soon. Here's one for you. Yeah, yeah. One last grand statement about the nature, nature of art and identity on his way out the door, which is possibly the most Bowie way for him to end a journey that didn't begin with Ziggy Stardust, but for whom a lot of people got on board uh, with Ziggy Stardust. Well, that's very much uh, in juxtaposition to this, uh, to Ziggy Stardust, in that he he talks about love a lot on the album, and different kinds of love. Um, one of the, the songs on there, um, Soul Love, and just talking about how there are different kinds of love. Yeah. Um, like one of the, the lyrics uh, in there, uh, just to touch the flaming dove, the dove often being a, a, a symbol for love. Yeah. It, it almost seems like this, this love is... You know, he he loves the concept of love, but can't quite seem to to go beyond that. Like, doesn't feel that, hasn't experienced that true passionate love, or like love for a brother, or the love of God that people talk about. That one was cool because it 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 seems like a, a very much from the heart. In that, you know, I've experienced all these things being a rock star, but that love, I know what it is. I know the concept of it, I feel it, but I haven't experienced those specific types of, of love. That's almost certainly true. Yeah. Uh, especially um, if you go back and read about David Bowie's sex life in the 1970s. <laughs> Which I haven't, so I me. <laughs> feel like private lives in the 1970s, if you were a famous millionaire rock star, are very different than they are today. Okay. Uh, there was not a manager following him around telling him not to do things. <laughs> There are stories about Mick Jagger's wife. There are stories about Mick Jagger. There are stories about his own marriage disintegrating when his first wife wrote a tell-all book. Oh, wow. Okay. Which, if my husband were doing cocaine and sleeping with people like David Bowie in the 1970s, <laughs> I would leave him too. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if you were the person sleeping with David Bowie, you would you would hope for a hall pass or like a like a post sex hall pass. I should think. Yeah. <laughs> but if that's a secret that you you just keep with you now or have kept with you now or have taken to your grave, I mean, good on you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No. Um. David Bowie's wife was named Angie. The Rolling Stones song "Angie" is rumored to be about David Bowie. <laughs> I don't know if that's a fact. I have heard it before. I like it. Uh, my world is better if that actually happened. <laughs> so I'm choosing to believe it. And I like how there was more uh, interpretation towards um, that kind of call-out, uh, as they call it now. 
back then whereas now it's uh, especially more within hip-hop and rap it's like hey yo this specific guy these are the things that i don't like about you instead of you know it, i'm gonna write a love song to your wife yeah exactly <laughs> So this has been uh, this has been the soundtrack to a life. Uh, I guess we're at about forty minutes now. On our way out, I want to uh, I want to ask you three things. Okay. Now that you have heard it a lot, now that you have talked about it a little, will you be listening to the rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars uh, further going forward? Absolutely, it's actually inspired me to go through more of his catalog. Once I'm, I don't I don't feel like I'm done with it. Like I I don't think I'll ever really be done with it. But it has inspired me to go through the rest of his his catalog once I feel like I've I've actually really listened to it enough that it deserves. That makes sense. My second question was, will you be exploring more of this artist's catalog? <laughs> I feel like you've answered that already, so that's quite good. That is a definite yes. And finally, uh, if you could pick uh, one song off of this album for us to play out the episode on, what would you pick? Uh, my... Immediate reaction is Suffragette City because it's so upbeat, and I still, I still don't really know what that's, what it's about. Like it, it seems like a high school love that he kind of ditches all his friends for, and she's just that worth it. I don't know, um, but honestly, the one that uh, that that really hit me lyrically and musically was Rock and Roll Suicide. Once I had actually been able to listen to it, right on. Then we are going out on uh, Rock and Roll Suicide. Excellent. Cam, do you have anything, uh, you don't have anything coming up. You don't have any like projects or uh, products or anything hitting market that you need to plug, do you? Not at all, no. <laughs> not, not until your game is actually finished and ready to send in to the creators. Then maybe, yeah. Uh, this, has been, uh, this has been the Soundtrack to a Life. Follow us on uh, Twitter or Facebook at SoundtrackCast. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Bookmark our webpage if you listen to podcasts on actual webpage. Review us. Comment. Time takes a cigarette and puts it in your mouth. Yeah. Have a great weekend.